0: Thanks for joining us for Life Vineyard Church. Well, hey friends, it's great to see you on this chilly day. If we haven't met yet, my name's Dan and I'm one of the lead pastors here at Life. And I figured I would start off today's message with a story about me and Liz when we were young. We met in college, I think I've told you guys that before, and so... During the summers, we were two and a half hours apart, you know, we had, is that considered long distance? Did we we have a long distance relationship for a couple months in the summer? I was in Bloomington, she was in the northwest suburbs of Chicago, and we would just, we would drive to each other as much as we possibly could. We would plan out our schedules, okay, we've both got the same day off, we gotta go drive to each other, we'll see each other. And those are some of the best times when you would miss each other so much, and then get together but then there was those times in in the in-between like you where where you just missed each other so much we couldn't stand it I remember one time we both had to work the next morning and we said we miss each other so much we just have to get together and so we decided to make the drive and we met in the middle at, at a McDonald's in Dwight Illinois you guys been to that McDonald's in Dwight it's pretty fancy yeah Great place, great place. But Liz and I, we just wanted to be together. That's all we wanted. And so we met halfway, and we spent three hours in Dwight at the McDonald's, and we were happy. And then, oh, Liz gives me a sad face. What? You don't remember this? My heart breaks. We'll talk about it later. I'll remind you. And so then we went back to our separate ways, um, separate places, But, you know, we were just caught up. We were caught up in the beauty. Clearly, Liz wasn't. She doesn't remember it. But we were were (laughs) caught up in the beauty of young love. We didn't care an ounce where we were or what we were doing. Everything that we did, that we did together, uh, whether it was going to the Chicago Art Museum, do you remember that one? Okay, she remembers that one a few times. Uh, whether it's going to Chicago Art Museum or hanging out at the Dwight McDonald's, it was just about being together. That's why we did those things. And in any meaningful relationship, this is true, with family and friends, it's the same. Our being comes before our doing. We care more about being with each other than, than what we're actually doing. And so today, we're going to apply that concept to our spiritual lives, being before doing. We're in a message series right now called Come Alive, and we're rethinking the marks of a thriving disciple. What does it mean to be a thriving disciple? And instead of focusing on what we can do to make God happy and to please him by doing good things in his name, we're looking We're turning inward to be with God as he is with us. Our connection to God is driven not by the doing. Our connection with God is driven by being with him. And so it's vital for us to be healthy disciples, to pause or even stop the things that we're doing, even the good things, even the good things that we're doing for his name. We pause, we stop so that we can be with him and treasure the gift of being with him. This week, I've been reflecting on and receiving from this verse in Ephesians, and I want to share it with you. This is Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. It says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with the fullness of life, That comes from God. This verse tells us some pretty profound things. That the living God of the universe makes his home in us. That's mind-blowing. And if that's not enough, it goes on. And that he fills us with the fullness of his life. We're filled with the fullness of his life as we learn and know and experience his love. Like verse 19 says there. The fullness of life, it doesn't come by way of doing for God, but through being with God and experiencing the treasure of his loving presence. So today we're going to consider what it means to be with God in such a way that his goodness flows in us, so that we're experiencing the fullness of his life in us before we even do anything. And then as we get to the doing, all that we do, as Ephesians says, is rooted in the loving presence of the Father. There isn't a better way. This is the best way to receive the fullness of life that Scripture talks about, to have our roots planted in the love of Christ. And we do this by being with God. Even as I say that, I can hear some of your brains going, your, your thoughts are loud today, maybe just because I'm having these thoughts about this when, when, I, when I thought about this. Okay, I know what I have to do. I've got to have better quiet times. I need to have uh, longer uh, prayer sessions. I need to study scripture more. I need to hang out with more questions. And just like that, we make this list of doing. And that's not what God's after. There's a fine line between the work of being with God, the, the work of, of doing to be with God, and simply being in his presence. The work of being with God, that, that kind of work that we feel like we have to do something, it has an attitude of performance, of gratification. Maybe we're trying to gratify God or ourselves by doing uh, you know, maybe it has this attitude of duty that we have to do it. So, practically, then, what does it mean to be? What does it mean to be with God? And I would say that being is receiving the loving presence of God. Being has this aura of receiving, of reflecting, expressing, deepening a relationship. And You could ask that question really of any relationship. What does it mean to be with my kids? What does it mean to be with my friends? Is it is it just like watching TV and hanging out, and uh, or is it like interacting with each other? Is it being together? And in answering, you probably have an answer of what it means to be with God. You know, when I first became a Christian. Uh, Great people around me taught me what to do to be a thriving, successful follower of Jesus. And I'm so thankful for everything on that front. They taught me wonderful things to do. They taught me how to pray for myself. They taught me how to pray for others. I learned practical methods of sharing my faith of evangelism with my friends and strangers. They shared with me their knowledge of how to read scripture and then study it well Later, I learned about the gifts of the spirit and how the spirit lives in me and gives me gifts to use for his kingdom. But the one thing that I didn't figure out till later in life was the gift of simply being in the loving presence of God without doing anything, just being in his presence. And this gift of being it's something that's been known and practiced for quite some time. It's, it's nothing new. Of course, Adam and Eve, they knew what it was to be with God in the garden as they walked with him there. Uh, David, who writes many of the Psalms, he understood what, uh, what it meant to bring all of his emotions to God, to be with him. Throughout the Psalms, we read, How he was in the presence of God when he was feeling all sorts of emotions, confused and angry, stressed, anxious. When he wanted to start a war, when he was mad, when he was aggressive, and even when he was happy and peaceful, optimistic, amazed. We read it all. David's an encouraging example of what it looks like to understand our feelings and then just say, God, this is what I'm feeling. We're honest with God about him. And even Jesus takes time to enjoy the gift of being with God the Father before all the amazing things that he does. The 12 disciples, they take time to be with the Father, and then the early church learns that, and then the church mothers and fathers learn that, and it goes on and on, too many to recount. But let's go back and look at Jesus and learn from his example of being with the Father. We have record of at least 15 times, 15 times, where uh, Jesus withdrew from everything to be with his Father. And that's just the recorded stuff. We're we're sure that it's more, but uh, let me read just two of them to you. These are from Luke and Matthew. They'll be up on the screen. But despite Jesus' instructions... The report of his power spread even faster. This is referring to a guy that he healed and he said, don't tell anybody that I healed you. I don't want anybody to find out. Of course, he told people and then everybody found out and they were coming to see him. And vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. And then in Matthew, it says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. This was when his friend was murdered. He found out that his friend was murdered. He was feeling, I'm sure, all sorts of emotions. And so he withdrew from everyone. We have plenty of examples to say that this is the habit of Jesus, that we would do well to follow. Jesus was often withdrawing. He was removing himself from the good work that he was doing to be with the Father. Think of all the good stuff, the great, amazing stuff that he said no to so that that he could withdraw and be with God the Father. Think of all those people, as and Luke says, that came to hear him preach. They're like, I'm hearing this great guy preach. You, could, you should come see him. And then their friends come, and they're ready to hear Jesus preach, and then Jesus leaves, right? What if you were that person? Or what if you were someone that needs healing? But Jesus withdrew. For Jesus, being with his heavenly Father was of the utmost importance. It was first and foremost. You see, his, his being fueled all of his doing. His being fueled his doing. The word that the Bible uses uh, for withdraw in many of these verses is really cool. It's a Greek word. And it's packed with meaning and imagery. And the word is echoreo. Ek meaning just from or out of. And then the koreo part is just incredible. It's like this whole English phrase that the, the Greek puts into one word. And koreo means I make room for by departing. I make room for by departing. And so it's like it's like if you're in a busy waiting room at a hospital or anywhere and an old lady comes in or a pregnant lady comes in, and there's no seats left. You, you guys are good people. And so you might get up and give your seat to that lady. You would be Correo. You would be doing that act. You would be leaving. You would be withdrawing to make room for something, someone. It's not just leaving, but it's leaving with a purpose to make room for. And so you can envision this idea that Jesus was withdrawing to make room for the presence of God the Father in his life. And in doing so, he made room for more of the doing. He made room for more of his ministry. His withdrawing to be made room and empowered all of his doing. His being fueled his doing. You know, all those wonderful things that, people taught me when I first became a Christian, um, praying for people, studying scripture well, evangelism, they, those things, they became the core of my spirituality. I felt that if I wasn't doing all of those things to the fullest of my ability, and to be honest, I never felt like I was, then my relationship with God was suffering. If I wasn't doing, then my relationship with God wasn't doing great. I made up in my mind that God was disappointed with me. And to combat that, what do I need to do? I need to do more. So God is pleased with me. I see some of you nodding your heads. Yes, I'm glad I'm not alone. You at least have one friend up here who gets, in, who gets that way. I can still get in this rhythm uh, where, where I'm doing To please God, or I just get in the habit of doing before being. But we're intended to do it the other way around. But you know what? No matter how much I do, I never satisfy this version of God because this version of God is made up, it's untrue. And when I get into that religious rhythm, all those things, what do they do? They become a checklist. They become clunky. They become a list of doing. And I get to a point where I just think, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why am I here? The other day, um, I was in our kitchen doing dishes, and... uh, and we ran out of paper towels. And so I was like, okay, I gotta get paper towels. So we store them in the garage, except I forgot that we store them, uh, well, hold on, I forgot that we removed remo- them to another place in the house. So I went out to the garage to get paper towels. I was like, oh yeah, we moved them to the laundry room. So then I go in the house, I go through the kitchen, go through our living room, our entryway, down the hallway to the bedrooms, and into the laundry room. And by the time I get to the laundry room, I'm looking around, and I think, what am I doing here? Why am I here? I have no idea why I came to this laundry room. I know I have purpose in here somewhere. But what, what the heck is it? What am I doing? Do you ever have that question about your spirituality sometimes? What am I doing I know I have a purpose in doing all this, but what am I getting out of it? Where has it gotten me? Why am I here? And that question, or maybe more appropriately, that feeling, it comes from a lack of being. It comes from doing and not being, or just simply not being with God, not experiencing the gift of his loving presence. We must be Beers before we are doers. That's God's intent for us from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And then they mess that up. And so then we have the tabernacle and then came the temple. And then Jesus in flesh comes to be with us, Emmanuel. We were created to be first. It's in the being where we discover whose we are and who we are. Peter Cesaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, which is the the book that this sermon series is is based off of, and there's a small group that's going to go through it as well. Shameless plug there. Um, Join a small group. He says, so this is a quote from the book about this. He says, A person who practices being before doing operates from a place of emotional and spiritual fullness. Deeply aware of themselves, others, and God. As a result, their being with God is sufficient to sustain their doing for God. I'm going to read that again. This is so important. A person who practices being before doing operates from a place of emotional and spiritual fullness. That's that kind of fullness that Ephesians is talking about, that fullness that comes from knowing the love of Christ, knowing his loving presence. And then he goes on, As a result, their being with God is sufficient to sustain their doing for God. It might be helpful to ask how is my ability to do for God being fueled? Where is that energy coming from? Is it God's energy in me or is it just my natural ability to do? I have a little bug friend up here that's been crawling around my podium. I'm going to get rid of him. <laughs> there he goes. We'll let him hang out with Marcia later. Marcia, sorry about that. It's on your keyboard. <laughs> It wasn't intentional. (laughs) Uh, So where's your energy for doing coming from? Is it coming from being with God or just our natural ability and we keep doing? That won't last. You know, it's normal for us to get this backwards. That's like our natural rhythm. We naturally want to do, and it's more of a difficult thing to learn to be. We want to do the right things. We want to please God. We want to be on his good side. But that's just religion. Religion. And what God desires is relationship, not religion. He wants us to be with him. And out of being with him naturally flows the doing second. I'm going to give you three ideas that will help you uh, be a person of being before doing. They are certainly Not the only ways you can do this, but it's a start. It's like uh, going down a path. It's going down a new path, a strange path. But once you get like, you know, a mile into the path, you're like, "I, I understand this path a little bit more. I like this path. I like where this is going. There's all sorts of things you can do, but these are just a few things to get you going down the path. And one is make a radical decision. Make a radical decision. Choosing To take time to be with God. With no agenda. It's a radical decision. It requires a resolve that's worth giving up. That that we say, okay, I think that being with God is worth giving up. This thing and this thing and this thing. Even if they're good things. To feed my soul with the loving presence of God. There's this interaction between Jesus and some of his friends that we read about in Luke. I want to share it with you. This is Luke 38 through 42. On their journey, Jesus came into a village. There was a woman there named Martha who welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the master's feet and listened to his teaching. Martha was frantic with all the work in the kitchen. So she came to Jesus and said, Master, she said, coming into where they were. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to give me a hand. In this scenario, Martha's right. If you're a a first century Christian reading this, you're thinking, yes, Martha, you are right. Like, what is Mary doing? Mary needs to be helping you. Uh, that's, That's what she should be doing. The norm and expectation wasn't only that Mary should be helping prepare the meal. But the biggest social gaffe that she committed was when she sat at Jesus' feet to learn. In this way, she was acting like a student of a master teacher. She was acting uh, like, the, like the student of a rabbi, a disciple of a rabbi. And until this point, there was a hard line that was not crossed. Sitting at the feet of a teacher and learning from a rabbi was a place only for men. And so Jesus responds. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. Mary made a radical decision that day. She had the opportunity to be with Jesus and she threw off every responsibility, every expectation, every social norm to seize this opportunity to be in his presence. Writing about us, Peter Cesaro again, he says, the radical decision is to end our addiction, not to drugs or alcohol, but to tasks and doing. We must flee from a life of overcommitment and hurry in order to learn how to be before we do. What's something in your life that God might be calling you to radically abandon? so that you can seize the opportunity like Mary to be fueled by and experience God's loving presence. Make a radical decision to be with God. Number two, make and embrace silence. Silent prayer is the unhurried opening of oneself to God. Again, it has this aura of receiving, of expecting, of expressing, of, uh, of deepening and reflecting. It has no agenda, but it does have fruit. It's in silence with God that we're able to release our will and our agenda. It's one of the ways that we, we take God's will and we put it in the center It's one of the ways that we take his truths and hear from him. It's one of the ways that we hear truths about us and who we are to him. It's where we hear his invitations and his love. You know, a lot of times, this is kind of embarrassing, but I'm going to share it with you anyway, because I think it might help you create your own. When when I'm practicing silent prayer, I envision this, like, field. It's almost like a real version of the duck hunt field, if you guys know the game duck hunt. Um, it's almost like that, it's like, the, it's like this big field, and, and I picture like balloons just rising up with all of my thoughts. Like I'm trying to practice silence, clear everything out of the way, but as soon as you start doing that, you start thinking about the email you have to answer, you think about what you have to do later in the day, you think about the thing that that person said that no one really matters... That doesn't really matter. And so these balloons for me have, I put all of those thoughts on these balloons and then I just pop them one by one. As they start rising up, I pop them. Maybe I should have a duck hunt gun. And maybe they should be ducks. I'm just thinking about this now. Uh, No, but they're just balloons and I pop them. Sometimes emotions, my emotions will rise up. I'm feeling this. And after Liz's, and I used to pop those. But after Liz's sermon two weeks ago, you should go listen to it if you didn't hear it. I now take those and I put them in a balloon net off to the side and I keep them for later. And I just wait for like the words of God to rise up. The things that are true about him, about me, what he has to say to me. The silence is like this unhurried prayer. Just waiting, waiting for God to reveal himself. And so if we can hear God through worship, if we can experience him through sermons and through poetry, through community, through prayer, through seeing him in nature, then surely we can experience God in the silence. Silence is a way where we can learn the voice of God and we can hear him speak to us. So make and embrace silence. The third is commune with Jesus throughout the day. Now, termites, termites are little creatures that can teach us about this. I saw a little documentary a couple weeks ago about termites and I was like, man, these are little spiritual creatures. There's so many analogies here. I'll just give you a couple, but I'm not talking about those uh, termites that are in your house. No one likes those. You can burn those. They're fine. Um, I'm talking about the termites in like Australia and Africa that build those huge towers. You guys know what I'm talking about? I think, oh, I have a slide. Great. Um, These towers, the, the record is 42 feet tall. Isn't that insane? This ceiling, I measured it, is 25 feet. 25 feet. So it's like almost double the ceiling is how high they go. These little creatures are amazing in the way that they work together. To create something. But they don't live in the towers. They don't live in this amazing monument that they built. They live underground in the little nest. You can see the ball right there. That's their little nest that they return to. And in that nest is where the termites, I mean, their whole life happens in that nest. Uh, it's where they receive instruction And purpose for their day and their lives, like their calling, what they're made to do. It's where they receive nourishment. It's where they get their building materials. It's where life is created and sustained. And the termites, they never leave their nest for too long. They're always coming back to the nest. So when one of the little termites wants to add to their giant tower with one tiny little grain of sand, then he puts it on top and then he returns to the nest for the next instruction. And maybe it's just taking another sand up. Or maybe another termite friend comes up and he said, hey, there's food out there. I found food. Let's go get it. And so then they go out and they they get the food, but they don't eat it out there. They bring it back to the nest and eat it, and process it in the nest. And if if a, a predator comes in, they receive their instruction to, hey, we gotta go fight this predator, and we gotta repair the hole that they made, so let's go do that. And then they return to the nest for whatever's next. The beautiful thing for us is that the nest of God's loving presence goes with us. And we can return to the nest no matter where we are to receive our instruction, our purpose, our nourishment, our life. You know, this happens in so many different ways. I'll just give you a couple, like just returning to the nest can look like seeing a beautiful sunset, a beautiful Midwest sunset. And you see it and you say, wow, God, that's a beautiful Midwest sunset. It's beautiful. That's cool that you made that. Or maybe it's just, maybe, have you ever memorized scripture? Maybe it's just recalling one of those scriptures that you memorized a long time ago on your drive to work. Or maybe, you know, you're just sitting in a boring meeting and you recall one of those scriptures and you reflect on it. You say, God, what does that say about me? What does that say about you? You can make room for just 10 seconds of prayerful silence right before you go on to that next email. God, I'm going to take 10 seconds of silence And just sit in your loving presence. And that's it. On to the email. There's all these different ways that we can return to the nest of God's loving presence. And that fuels us for the doing. And then don't forget what Liz taught us a couple weeks ago, that we can go to God with our feelings. And for the first time in my life, I intentionally, for the last couple weeks, have gone to God with my feelings. I've set out two times, uh, two regular times in my day, where I can just go to God with my feelings and say, God, I'm feeling this. This is what I'm feeling. And maybe it's nothing more than that. I just let God know my feelings. It requires us to be honest with ourselves. And that's the first thing. I think kind of that's what David was doing as he wrote poetry. I think he was figuring out his feelings. It takes a little work to figure out your feelings first and then giving them to our heavenly father. And as I did this regularly with God, I found that not only was I feeling my feelings when I was trying to, but then like I'd be at work and I'd feel something. and I'd be like, oh God, I'm going to, This is what I'm feeling. And then I'd be at home, and I'd be feeling the same thing, but for something else. And I started making these different connections. I won't go too deep into that, but it was really beneficial for me. It's one of the ways that we can commune with God throughout the day is just telling him what we're feeling. So those three things. Make a radical decision like Mary. Maybe it means saying no to things. Maybe it means canceling things. Make a radical decision to seek out God, to be with him. Make and embrace silence as a way to hear from God in your life, as a way to learn his voice. And three, commune with Jesus throughout the day. Be a termite, always returning back to the nest to receive nourishment and life. It's in these ways and many more that we allow the gift of being in the loving presence of God to fuel what we do. Will you guys pray with me? Jesus, we're thankful that, that you, you just want to be with us first. Like you love the doing, we know that. We read scripture about that. But what you really love is being with us. It's why you came to bridge the gap so that we can be with you. God, teach us how to do that. Teach us how to be people that be. Not even so that we can do, but be just because it's what we are created for. Jesus, we love you. Amen. At Life in Your Church, we want you to experience the life-changing presence of God We'd love to have you join our community. We meet every Sunday in Muhammad, Illinois. To find out more, go to lifevineyard.org, lifevineyard.org.